Now, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Not different because we always preach from the Bible, but we're actually going to read the chapter of the Bible today that we're going to hear the message from. I'm going to read a whole chapter. So I encourage you to get comfortable. All right? If you've got your Bible, grab it out. And we're going to read from John chapter 9. It's 41 verses, people, so get comfortable. Okay? I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbours and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, 
whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvellous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to them, You have both seen him, and it is who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Thank you so much, Katie. That was long, right? That was super long, but it's good. Because honestly, we need to read Scripture in its context. A lot of times we grab a Scripture scripture and we take it out of the story and out of context and we preach from there. But if we don't understand the full story of where we actually find that Scripture, sometimes we can preach heresy or preach the wrong thing. So it's really good for us to understand the full narrative of what was actually going on there from the start of the story to the finish of the story of this encounter this man has with Jesus. And so if I've not met you, my name is Scott, I'm one of the pastors here, so welcome to New Life this morning. But we've just started a seven-week series called Encounters with Jesus. David kicked it off last week, it was amazing. And what we're looking at, we're looking at the Gospels at times when ordinary people encounter Jesus in their everyday lives and what happens to them during and after these encounters. And I love the Gospels because they're not fictional stories but they're eyewitness accounts of real encounters people have with Jesus and the varied responses to his teachings and to his miracles that are performed. It's not always good. And just like today, some people are transformed by belief in Jesus and others totally reject him, totally reject the idea that he's God. And the Gospels, they're a raw look into humanity, a great place for us to start and totally for us to reflect on our own lives. And today we're going to be exploring as Katie Wonderfully read John chapter 9. She should uh, read audiobooks, shouldn't she? 
And so it's an account a blind man and the Jewish religious leaders have with Jesus. But before we get into it, I'd love to pray. So would you please join me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word is truth. Your word is full of the truth of who you are, your character, your nature, your goodness. It is a revelation of you, God. So Lord, I pray that you would help me preach your message with grace, with truth, but also with love. Lord, that in the end they wouldn't look to me, but they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, some of you have heard this story before, but when I first became a Christian at the age of 33, very, very soon after, I hurt my back really quite badly, and for about three months I was in a lot of pain. I had a couple of bulging discs. And so for three months I was in pain. I'm like, wonder why this is happening to me after I just got saved. Is God punishing me? Is God doing something? And I remember a couple, about three months in, I'm like, I think I'm good enough to go for a surf again. So I get out, go for a surf. My first surf back, I break an ankle. Literally break my ankle. Then I'm like, great. Let's go get this sorted. So I go to the physio. He's like, you've broken your ankle. I'm like, if I go and do anything about this, I'm not going to be able to work. So I just strapped it up every day. It was meant to be healed in six weeks. It took 12 so I go to the doctor if you have to. I don't do that, which is dumb. But for 12 weeks, I had this broken ankle. And then I thought, this is good enough. I'll just strap it up super tight and I'll go for a surf. So I strapped it up super tight and I went for my first surf. And those two bulging discus, discs, one of them I herniated in my second wave. A herniated that came out from my back and went down between my spine and my spinal cord and was rubbing on my spinal cord on the nerves. And for 12 months, I was in excruciating pain. I would literally go to work and just with like all sorts of painkillers just to get through work and then come home and just lay on the bed. And I remember over that space of time, I remember thinking, okay, I'm a new Christian. I've done 33 years of really ordinary stuff. This is just payback, right? Like God's just paying me back, punishing me for all the bad stuff I've done. That was my theology. It was really interesting over that time laying in bed for so long you get a lot of time to read. So I was reading the Bible. And God corrected, corrected my theology because when I repented of my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus, God wiped away my debt. Why would God punish me for what he already punished Christ for in my behalf on the cross? And so I had a bad understanding of suffering in life. And in chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, it starts with a very similar issue it starts with this question, why was the man born blind? Why has he suffered his whole life? Did it have something to do with sin? In John 9, we read, Now Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You see, Jesus and the disciples just walk along doing their everyday stuff. They're going about their business, and the disciples see this blind man. He's just sitting there begging. And we know that the blind man, he was of age, he was an adult. And he's sitting there in the dust, and he's begging. He's been blind his whole entire life. From when he was born, he's not been able to see a thing. And he, there's no NDIS, there's no special schools for disabilities back then. They were just left in the corner. And we might think, oh, that's horrible, but let me tell you, my father-in-law, he's deaf. He was born deaf. 
And it wasn't that long ago we were still doing that stuff. There wasn't amazing schools or amazing education for people with disabilities. They were kind of just put in the corner. They go, what's wrong with that kid? Oh, he's just deaf. And people go, oh, okay. They just leave him there. This is still something that we've only just got into today where we actually care for these people. So we're introduced to a man that's been blind his entire life. He's pushed aside by society and he's even looked down on and his life has been reduced to actually begging just to stay alive. There was, why was there no help? Why was there no help that he had to actually beg just to live? Because the common thought was if someone suffered, somehow they actually deserved it. We see this in the book of Job. If you go into the Old Testament, there's this whole book about a man named Job. And he's blessed. He, God. he worships God. He loves God. And he has all of this bad stuff just pile upon him. He loses everything. And then his friends come around him to encourage him. Not really. They sit down with him and they're like, huh, clearly you've sinned somewhere. That's why all this stuff has befalled you. They say that he's actually done something wrong. That's why he suffered. And this is what the disciples thought about the blind man. Just imagine spending your entire life rejected, being told that you're not worth caring for, having people look at you with disdain because they believe you actually deserved your suffering. I wonder if he believed it. I wonder if he actually hated himself. I wonder if he felt like he had no purpose in life other than just to try and stay alive. I wonder if he felt like a burden to his family and his friends. I wonder if he was ashamed of himself and his disability. Have any of you felt any of these emotions? Have you ever believed some of them about yourself? Can you, can you actually feel the despair he must have had sitting in the dirt, living every day, begging just to stay alive? I wonder if he believed, like everyone else around him, that somehow he just deserved this suffering. Because even the disciples believed this. That's why they asked Jesus that question. Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And I just love the honesty of Scripture that we see here because these are eyewitness accounts of real events. The Bible doesn't hide the truth and doesn't try and, and make the disciples look good or make them better than anyone else. It just tells us the raw facts. Christian and non-Christian historians would agree it's verses like this that actually validate the Gospels as genuine eyewitness accounts. Because it never hides from the truth, no matter how bad it actually makes the disciples look. And here's one of, the most, here's one of those moments where the disciples, they're actually wrong about their understanding of suffering and pain and the human experience of it. You see, the disciples assume that, that this man's parents had sinned or he had sinned. That's why he was born blind and suffered his whole life. They assume that he deserved what he was experiencing, not only physically, but also socially too. You know, I love how dumb the disciples are in Scripture sometimes. Gives me hope. Right? They ask some silly, silly questions, like I do. I ask all the dumb questions, but that's good. We need to ask questions about the Scriptures because God wants to reveal himself in it. And here's one of those moments where they're like, who sinned, him or his parents who was born blind? I'm thinking, how could he have sinned if he was born blind? He wasn't even born yet. <laughs> right? How could he be blamed for that? So it had to be his parents if it was anything, right? But the thought at the time was this, if you were healthy and rich, then you were blessed by God. And if you suffered and you were poor, then you were cursed by God because of some kind of sin. Therefore, you actually deserved it. And society was happy to leave you in your suffering and basically just ignore you. 
And so the disciples asked Jesus, what's the reason this guy is blind? Obviously, it's his parents or his own sin. And Jesus corrects their theology of suffering and the human experience of it and says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus is saying that not all suffering is because of personal sin. Now, let's be clear. Some of our suffering we face is actually from our sin. So if I steal and I get put in jail, I can't wave my fist at God and go, why am I in jail? Well, it's because I stole. You know, I can't cheat on my wife and then wave my fist at God and go, God, why has my marriage fallen apart? Why has she left me? That's because I've sinned. You know, we can't lie and expect that to go well. We can't eat unhealthily and then shake our fist at God and go, why am I unhealthy, God? Sometimes we bring that stuff upon ourselves with greed and pride. All these things affect us. So yes, there are times when we suffer because of our own personal decisions, but not all suffering is from personal sin. Sometimes we just get sick or we're sinned against. Sometimes these people do it to us, not because we've done anything wrong. It's because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes we're just innocent victims of this fallen world. The world affected by sin and death and decay. But that's why Jesus came, to ultimately redeem us from this fallen world. And unfortunately, there's still this teaching or this thought process today in our society that somehow we deserve what we get. Like karma is a big one. It's an Eastern understanding, but we've adapted it in the Western world where we think, oh, well, if you just do good things, then good things will happen to you. And if you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. And it's, it's sort of permeated the church. It's come into the theology of the church where just do good things and, and good things will happen. And if not, good things aren't happening, well, clearly something's happened to you. You've done the wrong thing. And it's manifests itself in different ways in the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, if you don't know what that is, is if, if you give God a lot of money, he'll give you 10 times more back. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to have all you want. And if you don't, clearly there's something wrong. That's not the truth of what Scripture shows us. If this is true, then Jesus and the disciples weren't loved by God. They weren't blessed by God because they suffered. Jesus suffered horribly. But he was loved by God, right? The disciples, every single one of them, bar one, were murdered for their faith. They weren't rich. They suffered. Paul, you read about Paul, he suffered horrendously. Does that mean God didn't love him? Absolutely not. God loved him. Jesus says, you will go through trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. I'm with you. So Jesus is clearly teaching here that this thought process is incorrect. And Jesus not only teaches this, but he demonstrates it by healing the man. And we read about this miracle and think that, that that's the main point of the passage for us to go out and do the same. Just pray for people to receive their sight again. I've heard countless messages that that's all this is about. It's just a model for us to go and pray for people. Even teaching that says this is how you actually get people to see. You, you spit on the ground, make some mud and rub it in their eyes and, and, and they'll be able to see. Anyone want to come down the front after the service and have me spit on them? Anyone? No? You're not keen? Does God still heal today? Absolutely. Yes, he does. We believe in the church that God heals today through the power of prayer. 100%. Does he heal people from blindness? 100%. But that's not the main point of the healing miracle here in John chapter 9. And Jesus tells us what the main point of the miracle is. He says, neither this man nor his parents sin, but what? But that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus is saying there's something deeper going on here. Did you know that in the Gospel of John, there's only seven recorded miracles? Only seven. 
The Gospel of John is different to all the other Gospels. All the other Gospels have multitudes of miracles. But John focuses on just seven. Why? Because John's proving that these miracles, they're signs that Jesus was the promised Messiah. This miracle has never been performed in the human history before. It's a miracle that was prophesied to be performed by the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so what Jesus does, he proclaims when he reads the scriptures out of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, he says, this is me. In Luke chapter 4 we read, and Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book, he found a place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled. I'm him. I've come to fulfill this. And you know what they do? They actually grab him and go throw him off a cliff. They want to kill him. Now, the miracle that was performed here in John 9 is so that we would see the work of God revealed through it. That God had actually fulfilled his promise to the Jews to send the Messiah. When we reduce this passage just to the miracle that we can do too, we miss the most powerful point Jesus and John is making recorded in this passage. Jesus is demonstrating that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah, that he is the promised Messiah that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. This is simply just a sign pointing to Jesus. You know, if you drive to the Sunshine Coast and you don't know where you're going, you've never been there before, you follow the signs, right? So you see a sign that says Sunshine Coast on the M1, turn left, you go, Cool, you don't pull up and go, this is amazing. I've made it. Look at the sign. It's so cool. It's green and white. <laughs> Love it. Right? It doesn't. It points to a destination, correct? We don't worship the sign, but sometimes we look at Scripture and we go, ah, oh, it's all about the miracle. This is it. That's not what it is. These seven miracles that John records, they're intended to be signposts to Jesus is the Son of God. They're intended to point you to a destination, a deeper truth, that Jesus is the Son of God. Billy Graham says the main reason for Jesus' miracles, however, was to demonstrate that God was with him and that he was promised Saviour sent from God. So this man, he receives his sight. And after washing off the mud that Jesus had put on him, he receives his sight and, and everyone's shocked. They can't actually believe that the man walking around seeing could possibly be him. They're all like, that looks like the guy that's been begging his entire life, but that can't possibly be him. Like, just think about that for a moment. You know someone who's blind, totally blind. They've been begging. They've been led to that place where they beg each day. And all of a sudden, he's just walking around, dodging stuff. Oh, excuse me, sorry. You'd be like, hang on a second. Has he got a twin brother? Because that looks like that guy, but that can't possibly be that guy, right? And then he's walking around. Think about this. You've been blind your entire life. He's like, that's an apple. I had no idea that was an apple. I had no idea it looked like that. Because think about it. If you go blind, you have a remembrance, a memory of what that would look like. If you were born blind, you have no idea. You have no reference. So he would have been walking around like this. <laughs> Tree. I thought it was just big and round, but it's like... Harry, like he wouldn't, 
He had no reference, right? So everyone's just looking at him going, that, that can't be him. He's like, it is me. It totally is me. There's absolute shock ranks throughout the whole area. And the news of this crazy miracle that's never been seen before in human history actually gets back to the religious rulers. And it says, They brought him in who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay in my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees says, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. So the blind man, he comes before the Pharisees and he gives his testimony of what happened. And what we see here is the first stumbling block of the Pharisees to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that stumbling block is that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. Why is that bad? To understand the Sabbath, the Sabbath was set up right at the beginning in Genesis where God created for six days and on the seventh day he rested. And that command was actually given to humanity because it was given to us as a blessing. It was meant to be that we would work for six days and on the seventh day we would actually rest. We would enjoy life. We'd enjoy family and friends. We'd have time to put our gaze on God and thank him for that. Because God knows through our greed that we will work seven days a week. And if we have people working for us, we'll grind them into the ground because we want more money. But God's people don't work like that. So God set it up that it would actually be a blessing to us that we would rest and relax. But what the Pharisees had done, they'd piled a whole bunch of rules on top. Rule upon rule, and it actually became a curse. Actually became a nightmare to try and keep the Sabbath. It wasn't what God intended. And Jesus actually comes at the Pharisees all through the Gospels and tells them that they got this wrong. One of my friends went to Israel, and he's standing there, and he walks into his hotel room, and there are all these Jewish people standing there at the bottom where the lifts are. And he notices no one's pressed the button to go up. He's like, oh, okay. So he walks up, presses the up button, and they all stand there. The doors open, they all file in. He goes, all right, I'm going to number seven. Steps back, and then one by one, they all ask him to press the button for him. Can you press six? Can you press two? Can you press seven? He's like, okay. Pressing all these buttons. Do you know why? Because they've set these rules that even pressing a button to get back to your room was work. No joke. They would literally stand there if I had to for hours. If no one came along that wasn't a Jew, it was okay to make someone else work, but you yourself couldn't work. This is the the pressure that the Pharisees had put on, and they say to Jesus, oh, he can't be from God because he's healing on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, what? You can't love on the Sabbath? You can't heal? They had totally a bad idea or bad theology of what it actually meant, and so rejection of Jesus starts because of man-made religious rules or man-made beliefs. Is there people in your life that refuse to believe in Jesus because of man-made rules or man-made philosophy? You know, one stumbling block for most people believing in Jesus is the resurrection. See, most people can believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher and his morals are great and even worthy to sort of follow his moral teaching, but they can't accept that he is God and that he rose from the dead. So something in this moment, interestingly enough with the Pharisees, that that he is a sinner, but others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? So there was this division among them. Some of them were like, yeah, but, but this is miraculous. We, we can't actually deny that. And so they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. He's a prophet. And there are things in Scripture where I look at it and I go, why does he call him a prophet? 
And most of the time we just go, ah, I just won't worry about it, we'll just move on. But I think those moments where we have these questions, it might seem dumb, but I think we should really dig into those because God can reveal a lot in there. So why does he call Jesus a prophet? You see, this man, he's not pretending to know anything other than what's actually happened. And his conclusion stated here is actually common sense to a Jewish person. Jesus had done something profoundly good and amazing and supernaturally powerful. And therefore, the man believes Jesus is a prophet because it was only prophets in the Old Testament that actually did anything like this. And since he hasn't actually seen or spoken to Jesus since being healed, this is all he can really, really assume. Then he says in chapter 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him. They're like, nah, nah, this can't be right. You're lying. You're a liar. So they actually asked for his parents and they confirm that it is their son. But they're just as confused as everyone else. They're just as confused and amazed that he can actually see. They're like, look, man, it is our son. But we have no idea what happened. You ask him, he's old enough. And so they do. So they call the man again who was blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, talking about Jesus, he's a sinner. And he answered said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered and said, I told you already. You didn't even listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? And they reviled him and said, you're his disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke through Moses for as this fellow. We don't know where he's from. It's really interesting in the exchange. They start with, give glory to God, which is what he was exactly doing. He was testifying to Jesus Christ, who is God. But the Pharisees can't get past their own religious hard hearts. They can't proclaim Jesus as God. They proclaim him as a sinner. You ever been in conversation with someone about Jesus and it seems like they're they're really antagonistic or angry against God or angry against Christianity. And it doesn't matter how you treat them or what you say, they're just angry and judgmental. But here's an example of how to actually share your faith that's non-judgmental in return towards others, but simply telling people what God has done for you. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see we know the best way to share our faith is just simply sharing our testimony? Sharing our testimony of the power and the goodness and the mercy of God transforming our lives? Just simply share your story. The last time we took my dog, Kira, to the vet. She's this little tiny dog, super fluffy. She's amazing. So we take her to the vet. She was a bit fat. We had to put her on a diet, actually. <laughs> um, so we take her to the vet. And we're sitting there, and me and my wife are sitting there. And the lady behind the counter, we're in conversation, seemed really nice. And so we're talking about five minutes, and then the doctor comes out and goes, oh, we're ready for Kira. Do you want to bring her in? And Georgie goes to take her in. She goes, you come on? I go, no, I'm good here. Because I wanted to talk to this lady. I'm always looking for an opportunity to share the goodness and the love and the mercy of God, and I just perceived she'd be willing to talk. She says, no, it's all right, you can go. So I just started talking to her, asking her about her job, what she loved, what she was passionate about. And then she turns to me, she goes, what do you do for a job? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. She goes, what? It's so funny when people, I say that to people, they're like, what? I mustn't look like one. <laughs> like, seriously, they're like, you're a what? I go, pastor of a church. And they're like, oh. And that usually gets a few responses. Sometimes like, oh. And they just don't talk to me ever again. <laughs> they just ignore me. They don't want to go there. 
But then sometimes they'll either tell me their experience of God or their experience of spirituality, and I'm always looking for a place where, where can I insert the gospel? Where can I insert my story? So she goes, oh, I went to church when I was a kid. My mum's a Christian. I don't go to church anymore. I'm like, oh, okay, why's that? And then she expressed, and I'm like, yeah, that's very similar to my story. Like, I got saved at 33. I wasn't a Christian my whole life, but I felt like I had no purpose or meaning. And then when I found Jesus, he gave me all of those things. And so I just shared my testimony simply. Now, I didn't lead it to the Lord or anything like that, but I'm just hoping that through my testimony, she might go, mm, maybe I want some of that. And this is what the blind man does. He says, oh, one thing I know that you can't change me on. I was blind, but now I see. You know, our testimony is the most powerful form of preaching the gospel. Our transformed life. Once I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. Once I was full of shame and guilt, but now I'm accepted and loved. Once I was addicted, but now I'm not. Once I was a selfish, it was all about me, but now I want to serve and love others. Once I had no purpose, but now I have a heavenly commission. Once I was blind to the truth, but now I see everything clearly through Jesus. Once I hated myself, but now I know I'm precious and made in the image of God. And hopefully your transformation, your testimony of the power and the love of God stirs something in that person, stirs in their heart that they want to reach out to seek Jesus. Maybe they think, man, I want some of that too. I could tell you countless stories as being a pastor of people that come to church and go, I go, why did you come to church? Oh, because someone in my life showed me who Jesus was. I saw the transformation in them and I actually wanted some of that. You see, no one can deny the experience of, that you have with God in your own life. No one can because it's actually your personal experience. You can always share your story of God's love and his transforming power to witness to the truth. And here's the crazy thing we find in this story, though. The Pharisees are so blinded by their own pride and arrogance that that's what they do. They totally deny and reject this man's testimony and his experience of the power of God. Even though everyone, even his parents, confirmed that he was born blind. Even though they knew the scriptures said that the Messiah would come and heal the blind. Even with all these undeniable facts, they reject the man, they kick him out as a sinner, and they reject Jesus as the Messiah at the same time. C.S. Lewis says, one of the most cowardly things ordinary people do is shut their eyes to the facts. We do this all the time. We're like, la, 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 I just don't want to hear it. Because that means I'd have to change my life. <laughs> I don't want to get convicted. So we just deny it, Right? And the religious rulers, they have zero humility or desire for the truth in this scenario. What they want to do is they want to protect their spiritual position and their authority. And they know that Jesus is a threat to their spiritual position and authority, both of those things. And because of this fear, they'd already agreed before this moment that anyone who professed that Jesus was on the side, they'd be kicked out of the synagogue, which meant they couldn't worship God, totally rejecting Jesus' authority. Albert Einstein says, blind belief in authority is the greatest enemy of truth. Sometimes we believe so much in our own authority that we will go so far to just reject, um, reject truth that's right in front of us. question is, are there areas in your life where Jesus is a threat to your authority? Are there areas in your life that you're not inviting him in, like work? We say, no, work's my thing, and I will work as I work. And if i just got to earn money there, I'm just going to do whatever I've got to do, moral ethics go out the window, I'm not inviting Jesus into that space. Or your relationships, where Jesus says we need to love one another, we need to forgive, and we're like, no, you're not allowed in this space because I don't want to do that. 
or with our sexuality or with our money or with our pleasures, what we do, I'm going to watch whatever I want on the internet or on Netflix. Go, Jesus, you don't need to be in here. What areas do you still want full control and are refusing to submit to the authority of Jesus, just like the Pharisees? So the man, he's, he's kicked out of the synagogue. And then it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. There's this beautiful moment here where Jesus reveals himself. It's a revelation directly from God himself. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. And he comes to the blind man. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? This blind man knows who Jesus is. Even though he is blind, all your senses are increased. He would have heard Jesus' voice. He would have known exactly who it was. He believed he was a prophet. So whatever Jesus said he was going to take as real and honest because he'd just been blind. And now he could see and Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe that God is going to send the Messiah? He goes, I do. He goes, but tell me who he is. I trust you. And Jesus reveals himself as the only Son of God. He goes, it's me. You're actually talking to him. And what does he do? He professes him as Lord. He believes and he falls down and worships him. This is a question that every single person on the face of the earth is going to have to answer one day. Who do you believe I am? And those that believe he is Lord enter into everlasting life with him and those that reject him as authority don't. But I love the fact that here, that belief, what is the fruit of that belief? How has it worked out? It's worked out in absolute worship. Think of a time where God has revealed himself to you and blessed you. Does that make you fall at his feet and worship? C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He says, I believe in the sun, not just because I see it risen, I see it in the sky, but by that I actually see everything else in life. I see everything to be true. I'm in darkness without the sun, and because I see it risen, I actually see the rest of life through that lens. And this is what we believe with the opening of our eyes, our spiritual eyes. When God comes in and we profess that Jesus is Lord, our eyes are open to the truth, and we look through that lens to the rest of the world. I was blind, church. At 33, I had no idea what I was doing was wrong. I had no idea the damage I was doing to people. And then I accept Jesus, Lord, and it was like my eyes were open. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been living like this. I had no idea. Here's the crazy thing. We think we can see just like the Pharisees, but we're actually blind to the truth without God. We're spiritually blind without God. At least the blind man knew he was blind. Like he was sitting there going, yep, I'm blind. But we're blind. We don't know it. We don't know that we actually need our spiritual eyes open to see the truth. And the Pharisees thought that their spiritual truth, that they could actually see. That's why Jesus talks about, oh, if you think you can see, your sin still remains. Your spiritual eyes are not open because truth was standing right in front of them in the person of Jesus and they couldn't see it. And to finish off, Jesus just drops this truth bomb to everyone who's present. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who... Say they see like you guys may be made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, 
Are we blind also? You said, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see, you think you know, therefore your sin remains. Here in this final part of chapter 9, we see a picture of all humanity. When Jesus reveals himself to the blind man and to the Pharisees as the Son of God, there are two different responses. One is belief and one is unbelief. That is a picture of humanity that we will see played out throughout history. Church, we need healing more than the blind man. Do we know that we have a terminal illness, every single one of us, and that terminal illness is sin? That like the blind woman was born blind, we are born with a terminal illness, this issue of sin. Each and every one of us, but that's why Jesus came to die. God saw the plight of humanity. He saw the effects of sin, and he comes and says, I'm going to take upon myself all of the sin. I'm not going to come and suffer and be beaten and marred and torn apart And I'm going to nail myself to that cross. Allow me to be nailed to the cross to take upon the sin of the entire world. Your sin and my sin. This is what God does. He goes, I'm going to take away the effects of sin. I'm going to take away your illness. I'm going to heal you from what you're born with. Just like the blind man. And anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, that debt is wiped away. is gone forevermore. And we enter into a new relationship with God that we will be with him forever. Hallelujah. I can't do anything about my sin. Just like the blind man who was born blind can't do anything about his sight. But God comes and brings healing spiritually and physically. Glenn, would you like to come up? I love Colossians 2. Colossians 2 basically sums up this entire story in one little neat verse. I could have just said this and walked away. It says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy... An empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, or according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. He's saying, don't be pulled away from that. For in him, Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete, restored, healed in him. And he is the head of all principality and power. This is exactly what we see in this story. Don't let anyone cheat you through philosophy or the tradition of men. The Pharisees got caught up in the tradition. These basic principles of the world that's not according to Christ. As C.S. Lewis said, when we see the sun, we see the whole world through that. So we look through Christ to see the truth. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That Jesus was the Son of God. That he was God in the flesh. And you are complete and fully restored in Him. You have your spiritual eyes open. You are born again by the Holy Spirit. And He is above all principality and power. He has all authority, even over all of your life and mine. We are in desperate need of the healing power of Jesus. You know, when we have our spiritual eyes open to the truth of the gospel, our eyes open to the truth of our sin and the truth that Jesus is God and the only one that can deal with it. We actually see Jesus for who he really is. We are healed. We are changed forevermore. Light actually floods our being and we can now see and understand the truth. We then born again by the Holy Spirit. Our spiritual eyes are open to truly see and the light of Jesus then illuminates all of life. And we see life totally different than we did before. You see, it's only Jesus that could have healed this man from his blindness from birth, and it's only Jesus who can heal us from the issue of sin that we've had from birth. We are just like the blind man in the story, helpless without Jesus. But here in John 9, 
One life is changed forevermore by the revelation of Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus is standing before you today through this message, asking you right now, do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus has found you today. You are absolutely not here by accident. Do you believe today in the healing power of Jesus? And will you submit to the truth and worship Him for His amazing grace? Because none of us deserve it, especially not me. Will you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And those that have already called Him Lord, declared Him as Lord, will you actually submit all authority to Jesus in all of your life as an act of true worship to Him? These are the questions that we all need to answer. Every one of us myself included. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I come before you, Lord, just so thankful for your amazing grace that was poured out on my life. Lord, that you opened my spiritual eyes, that I was blind, but now I see you for your beauty and who you truly are. You're beautiful, you are wonderful, you're full of mercy and you're full of grace. Lord, I pray for us here that call you Lord, that we would be transformed in heart and in mind and like the blind man, declare you as Lord and fall down and worship you. And you might be sitting there and, and you never realize that, that God wants to have a relationship with you, that God came and died for your sins, that, that God absolutely loves you. And he wants to wipe away the debt of sin and have relationship with you forevermore. You know, simply in this moment, this is a personal decision you make to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So you can simply just pray this prayer in your heart with me. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for love. God, I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe you love me enough that Jesus died for me that he rose again in victory over my sin. Lord God, I pray for the gift of your Holy Spirit that I would see clearly now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you like to stand with me if you're able? We're going to take a moment where we worship, where we come before the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and we can express our love and our gratitude for His amazing grace through song. So I'd really encourage you, sing. Sing for what He's done in your life. But also, we believe in the power of prayer, 100%. We believe God still heals today. So if you have any ailment, whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual, whatever it is, we will be down the front. There'll be people down here. We would love to pray with you. We want to stand with you as brothers and sisters and pray for healing because God still heals today. As I said, it can be physical or spiritual. But also, if you know someone that you love deeply, that they're struggling physically, we would love to stand with you as well. Let's pray together. Let's pray for our loved ones. I don't have a greater spirit than what's in you. The Bible says that God doesn't give the spirit by measure. We all carry the spirit of the living God in us. If you don't want to come down the front, ask the person next to you. So can you please pray for me? I would love prayer. And if you did, if you accepted Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, 
please come down the front. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to bless you. It's awesome. But how about if we're not doing any of that, how about we sing? We sing because he is worthy of our praise.